Thank you, Adam and Rebecca. And good morning and welcome. As has been said, this uh, Father's Day we celebrate here in America. And uh, hopefully you, like I, have been showered with gifts, love, affection, you know, praise from your family or at least got a, uh, you know, this morning or some, something that acknowledged our existence today. Uh, it's, uh, it's good to, to be reminded um, if your father is, is still, still with you, um, just to be reminded to, to be thankful. Um, and uh, hopefully, I know not every father and child uh, relationship is perfect, but uh, the Lord places them in our life for a purpose, for a reason. And, um, but it's, it's good to be able to sing to our Heavenly Father, who will never leave us nor forsake us, um, and we were able to sing uh, about his love just in that last song. So, uh, glad to be able to, to preach again. It's been a while. Uh, February of uh, last year was the last time before the pandemic. And um, though I've tried many times since, they've they pushed, pushed me aside until uh, today. No, I'm, I'm just kidding. Very thankful to be able to, to do that today. Um, so, we finished up Habakkuk for, for our guests that are with us here today. We just finished the book of Habakkuk, which, if you don't know, is in the Old Testament. And um, as a church, I don't want us to just move on from that and forget it. Uh, it is, that was a, a good study to go through and for us to always remember, you know, the things that we learned from Habakkuk. I will give you a, a Father's Day tip. Um, I learned this from Pastor uh, Tom Nelson in uh, Denton, Texas. He said, uh, if you have a, a daughter you know, that gets to the, to the age of courting or dating. You know, you fathers in here that may, may have a daughter of that age, you know, around 40 or so, you know, in that, that, that age range. Um, say a young man, you know, comes to, to court her. Um, you need to sit him down, you know, wherever, wherever you want to do that in the living room or whatever. Sit him down, look him in the eye, and have him tell you about the book of Habakkuk. Explain to you the book of Habakkuk. If he flinches, he's, he's gone. He's out of there. He can't. He doesn't make the cut. But um, that that is good. A good reminder for us to know the scriptures, know our Bible. Amen. Uh, it is it is good. Uh, we treasure God's word. That's why we preach through books. We preach through them because having God's word in our heart is good. And I'm so thankful that so many in, in our church and our congregation desire to know the scriptures. Just just this morning, you know, I, I hear, you know, over there, I hear this morning, uh, Adam's teaching. So many have studied this week and prepared for this morning to uh, be faithful to God's word, to bring it this morning. I'm just one of, of many that have done that this morning. And so that is a good thing to know know the word. And for you young men. Know your Bible, because you never know what a future father might, might ask you uh, in the future. So, know the Scriptures. But we did finish Habakkuk, and now we're going to take a little break before we start our next book, which will be in the New Testament. Um, and right now, that the plan is for that to be the book of Jude, which is a short book, but, um, but a lot of content in it. Um, if you've read Jude recently, you, you know what we're talking about here, but... Uh, before we get to Jude, in a, in a few weeks, we're going to teach through or preach through the book of Psalms. No, we're not going to go through the entire Psalms in a few weeks, but um, the elders and, and Evan right now will take a Psalm and uh, teach on it, and may, maybe a Proverbs, too. We haven't, haven't 
fully shored that up, but that's, that's the plan right now. And when we go to the book of Psalms, uh, this, the book of Psalms is obviously dear to each of us. If you've been a believer for any amount of time, you've read the Psalms, you've gone to them in different times in your life. There have been times of praise, uh, adoration to God, thankful for, for his blessing. There have been times of sorrow. There have been times of lament in your life where you read a psalm and you were reminded um, that, uh, of who God is uh, in the pit, in the, in the deepest, darkest part of your life. There are psalms of repentance, psalms of returning to a right relationship with God. Um, so many different psalms and how historians and, and uh, theologians have broken them into different themes and headings um, that, that we see. It's a, a psalm or psalter is another name. It's a collection of 150 poems. And uh, the Greek word is psalmos, which is, means song, sung to a harp. We don't have a harp today, but the piano, you know, laid on its side is, is a harp, I guess. Um, the Hebrew name is uh, tehilim, tehilim, sorry, I worked on that, which means praises. Um, and so basically the Psalms were the hymn book for the Israelites. And it's uh, something they go to often to sing, sing praise to God and uh, for different times throughout history. And like I said before, a wide range of emotions exist uh, when you read the Psalms and go through them. And uh, my first, the first time I remember as a young child, the, the first Psalm that kind of has implanted in my memory, it's, it's cliche, I, I know, but it's the 23rd Psalm, Psalm 23, because it was at my, my grandmother's funeral, my dad's mom's funeral, and it was just the first time, you know, all the emotions as a, as a young child kind of hit you at that moment, and then they read the 23rd Psalm, and I was able to hear, you know, the truths that was in that one. And um, like I said, yours, you probably have a psalm that you remember and hold dear uh, throughout your walk with the Lord. And the psalms are also, uh, well, we use it, obviously, in our service as, as to call to worship. You know, we'll read the psalm typically. Uh, there have been many songs that have been written uh, throughout the different psalms. Uh, throughout history, and we sing some of those as well. Um, so it's a huge part of our worship uh, service. And But Psalms, they're also God's Word. It's also Scripture. Um, it's not just good poetry. It's not just good uh, songs. It is in the Scriptures. And so it is good to learn, to know, and to read the Psalms. So with all that, if you have your Bible, turn to Psalm number 8. Psalm 8. A very popular psalm. Again, many songs and hymns have been written uh, from this psalm. And just a good um, psalm of praise that David, who wrote over half of the psalms, or at least half, um, he wrote this one as well. So I'm going to pray, and we're going to go through the psalm just verse by verse, and um, just look at the, what the point of this psalm is. And then we'll look at a few scriptures in the New Testament that actually refer back to this psalm and see how the, the New Testament authors um, interpret that and uh, comment on it. So let's pray together before we get into Psalm 8. Our Father, we uh, thank you again just for a time uh, to sit under the teaching and the preaching of your word. 
Lord, this, this time is, is very, uh, it's just a reminder of our great need of you. And this is how we know you, through the scriptures. And I thank you that we have the opportunity to do that this morning. Uh, as James prayed earlier, and I have asked, Lord, may they not see me, no one see me, but only see uh, the majesty of our God. And may they see Christ. And we pray all this in his name. Amen. So Psalm 8. Let's read it, and then we will go through it. Psalm 8. To the choir master, according to the Getith, a psalm of David. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. So, I kind of made it easy on myself. I got to pick this one, and um, I didn't, didn't realize all of the implications that the New Testament pointed back to this psalm, but one thing that was very clear to me was anytime an author repeats the same line, uh, it's a pretty good indication that that is the point of the text. And David states it at the beginning, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And then he ends in verse 9 with that same same um, line. And so there's no mistake. I want us to know about the majesty of the name of our, of our Lord in all the earth. David is praising the name. And in verses 2 through 8, as we'll see, he gives examples of this majesty, why God works through man uh, here on earth. I want us to see the majesty of God, man's weakness, and our great need for God. So, the first verse here, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. So, as we read it, it looks like the same word, O Lord, our Lord. But in fact, it is two different words. The first Lord there is the covenant name of God to Israel, which is Jehovah or Yahweh, um, this is the Lord that uh, David pronounces here. A very um, strong word, a very strong name to the mean, for the meaning of the people of Israel there at that time. And that second Lord is uh, Ado, Adonenu, which is to rule, judge, support. And we can interpret that as king. So, O Jehovah, our king, how majestic is your name in all the earth. David exclaims this great truth that words, you know, 
we have difficulty, especially in the English language, but in any language, being able to express this, uh, this great um, exclamation to God and who He is. How majestic is your name. And that word majestic, um, your, your Bible may interpret it differently or use the word wonderful or excellent, um, but it means you know, superior. Uh, there's nothing above it. It is highest, uh, sovereign. Uh, it is just this name for, for uh, something that cannot be surpassed. So again, David in this first verse is saying so much. Jehovah, our King, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Your name, the name of God. Uh, all of the things that that encompasses. Um, God's name in among the people of Israel and then going throughout the earth, throughout the world. You, it says, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Not just the people of Israel, but all of the earth. At that known time, however big the world was to, to David and the people of Israel, the Lord's name went everywhere. Uh, his name was known. We've gone through scriptures and seen um, in the Old Testament, um, namely Rahab, when, when the people of Israel came, uh, she said, we have heard of this God. We have heard this name. So his name was not just confined to his people, but it went throughout, and that was David's desire. And not only was it in all the earth, but it finishes in verse 1, you have set your glory above the heavens. Not only in all the earth, but in the heavens, and then what's beyond the heavens? This, just the universe, this vast space. This is God's glory. This is the majesty of God. It is above the heavens. It goes beyond what we can fathom or comprehend. So again, David just starts out this psalm, this poem of praising God, praising his name, and going beyond any, anything that we can comprehend or think of. Just think on that for a moment. Just, and it sounds silly because I just said we can't do it, right? We can't do it. But to just to pause and rest and think on the majesty of God, how it is beyond these walls. It's beyond your world, beyond your Life is beyond this earth and even above the heavens. The majesty of God. All right, verse 2. A familiar verse to a lot of us. Out of the mouth of babes and infants, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. Mouths of babes and infants establish strength, or that word strength can be interpreted as praise. Um, strength, meaning strength attributed to God in a song or praise, is the word there. Um, so we go from this huge idea of who God is, His majesty above the heavens, and then we bring it down to um, probably one of the weakest, um, most fragile forms of life that we can experience, and that is uh, babes and infants. Uh, so this contrast that David shows us, the majesty of God, and then the frailty, the weakness of man that we see in, uh, in verse 2 here. Why would um, David do that? Why would he use uh, babes and infants to compare to uh, the strength or the, the praise of God? Well, 
it is a, um, it's clear and just through in studying and, and then when we refer to some of the New Testament uh, scriptures here in a moment, um, James, I think, re- referenced it earlier that God does not need us. He does not need man. He doesn't need us to mature, to grow up, to learn the language, to uh, speak eloquently, um, to be able to articulate just right his, his words, even though this is what we do and these, these are good things to do. He can use the um, innocence, the, uh, the quietness, the, the meekness, the weakness of a child to establish his praise. And um, it is just a, a reminder that uh, man, we like to uh, inflate ourselves, our egos, puff ourselves up. You know, I'm pretty good at, at what I do, whether it be preaching, singing, uh, your job, whatever it may be. But just to know that uh, the God that he speaks of in verse 1 does not need you to um, be polished and ready for him to be able to use you um, that his name may go forth in this world. And that's a, that's a comforting thing. It is for me, anyway. Um, thankful that I don't have to have it all together and be perfectly eloquent that God can use me. God chooses to use the weak man to speak his praise. And just an aside here, we've um, heard it this morning, and I know parents cringe when we say this, but just know to hear um, babes and infants in the words, even, the words that they utter, even though they may not be intelligently praising God with their words, it's probably, why are we here? I want to leave. I'm ready to eat, right? Um, but it is, it is good to hear, right? And um, I know if it's your child, it's not good to hear. You want to get up and leave and go next door to the nursery, but we are thankful to be able to hear babes' uh, cries and voices because we get to, uh, as we did uh, at Mother's Day, we had a, a stage full of little ones, right, and parents. Um, we get to speak into their life. We get to shepherd them. We get to tell them the glorious things of God. And so the one day when they do continue to grow up, they can speak the name. Um, but even, even as children, God can use them in such great ways. And so we're, we're very thankful for that. That was just, just a little aside. God uses the weakest among us to silence his foes. The second part of verse 2 there, you have established strength because of your foes to steal the enemy and the avenger. Who are these enemies of God? This would be anyone who, want, who doesn't want the name of God to go forward, right? They want God to be silenced. Um, they don't want anything to do with God. Um, God can use the weakest among us to silence them and make them insignificant in light of his name and his praise being spoken. So, verse 2, Mouths of babes, you have established praise. Moving on to verses 3 and 4, they're kind of combined there. I'll read them together. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? So, I can just, you know, I I love verse 3 there. um, Looking at the moon and the stars, the work of your fingers. This is going from the majesty of God down to the the weakness of of infants and then backing up again to the fingers of God. And you think of fingers of God putting all this in place. 
this creation that he just, he spoke it to make it happen. But we see here that David refers to his fingers, his handiwork. And he establishes the moon, the stars, nature, the mountains, all of the things that we see in creation that God has put these in place. And I just, as, as I walk through this, you know, I think of David and just all of the things he experienced in his life. And I think, you know, probably sometimes he slept outside, um, whether he was running from Saul or, or just on his uh, journey, you know, just looking up at the stars and gazing at the heavens and just being in uh, wonder at uh, what God has put in place. And we do the same thing, right? We look up at the, I hope you do, I hope you look up occasionally at the stars. Uh, obviously, we live in a place with more light pollution than there probably was back then. But if you ever get to a place that's really dark and you can see the stars, um, may we not see, uh, worship that, the creation, but we worship the Creator who put all those things in place. Um, like I said, maybe stars, you know, maybe it's a, a, for us, you know, we got to go to the Grand Canyon last year and see several national parks that just leave you breathless, right? You just cannot imagine and fathom this creation that God has made. But it is to, to point us to Him and not to the created things. God is so vast, so big, His fingers set all these in place. And that word set, or that phrase, set in place to arrange or to order. Um, I think, you know, we, our family, we talk about it quite often. And, and those, uh, like Chris, you know, these math, you math uh, geniuses, uh, all of the math that goes into um, space travel and, you know, astronomy and studying these things. You know, th- these two are things that God created, right? God created math, created calculus, created all these things. Um, he placed it, he arranged it in order. And uh, it, is, it is good for us to, to just marvel at these things. God put these things here for, for us to see Him and to worship Him. But man, you know, we like, to, we like to mess things up and worship, you know, ourselves or worship the create, created versus the Creator, as it says in Romans, Romans 1. The second part here, uh, verse 4, What is man that you are mindful of him? The word man here uh, is the word enosh, uh, which is Seth's son, I believe, but it expresses the word, uh, expresses frailty, weakness, sickness. This word here, enosh, uh, is what it's saying. What is man, this weak, frail um, human, this existence that you have created? Uh, why do you even consider him? We are worthless. We are nothing compared to you, God. But what does our Father, our Heavenly Father, what is He toward man? You are mindful of Him. The phrase there signifies a fatherly love towards man. God defends, cherishes, uh, extends His providence to man. He stoops down to us as we see in the Old Testament and as we'll see in the, in the New Testament as well. So you are mindful of Him and the Son of Man that you care for Him. And that phrase care for Him means to visit or to remember. 
So this verse here, just David speaks of, first of all, what is man, this weak vessel? But then he turns to God. How does God treat this man that, uh, that he has created? He is mindful of us and he cares for us. Uh, this prophetic word spoken from David uh, point to a time where we will see God remember his people, stoop down to be mindful of us and care for us. Obviously, we see that in Christ. We're moving on. Verse 5. Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. The heavenly beings there uh, referring to, obviously, things that are not of the earth. They're in the heavens. Uh, your Bible may say angels. Um, so anything that is um, in the heavenlies, uh, a place not, not in this realm that we, we see, you know, face-to-face and uh, on this earth, but in a place um, where God uh, is, Him and the angels. You have made Him a little lower than the heavenly beings. You've put us on earth. And that phrase, that word little there is not smaller necessarily, but it refers to a time. You know, for a time you are on earth, um, but that will not always be. There will become a day when uh, eternity happens, um, that you will be in a different, different place. And we are crowned with glory and honor. So man, obviously, is made, we are made in the image of God. We are his uh, greatest creation, his most you know, treasured creation. Um, of all the things that he created, he stoops down to man, not to animals or to um, trees or to rocks or to all the other beautiful things we've spoken to, but to man. God has given us uh, communicable attributes of himself. He has given them to us. He hasn't given us all his attributes. We don't know everything. We don't see everything. Uh, but he has given us some. God has chosen to do that, given, given to man. God chooses to do his work here on earth through men and women. And we receive much blessing from God. So in this sense, we are crowned with glory and honor. We are given um, a place different than all other creation. God blesses man richly, be it through his common grace that he gives to all, to the eternal blessings that he gives to his chosen people crowned with glory and honor well verses 6 through 8 kind of kind of all together David continues in in talking about these um, temporal blessings uh, the ways God has crowned us with glory and honor verse 6 there you have given him dominion over the works of your hands you have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the sea. So David is just continuing, and, and like I said, pointing to some of these blessings that man is crowned with, um, animals and um, birds and fish and all of these things that we get um, benefits from, right? Um, no doubt David is referring back to Genesis 1. Uh, you have your scripture there open. Turn to Genesis 1. And I'll just read 20, verse 26 and 28. 26 through 28. 
Then God said, Let us make man in our own image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So obviously David knew, you know, Genesis knew this writing as he um, said the same thing here, one of the blessings that God gave Adam and Eve in the garden. Now, how long, we, we talk about it often, how long did that last? We like to joke, you know, after God was done, you know, he looks over and then Adam, you know, Adam and Eve are eaten from the tree that they shouldn't have. The fall happens that quick. We don't know, but how long, you know, Adam had dominion um, over them, you know, that, uh, that is how, what David is looking back to and referring to. And even though after the fall, we still see the benefits that we get from having dominion over these animals, um, the benefits that we receive, it is still... You know, there are still animals that uh, we were reminded this morning that get out of their fence, right, and go running around the, uh, the church. Uh, they're not under complete dominion, unfortunately, as, as much as we would like. Um, but David, no doubt, like I said, is referring to just this blessing that God established from the beginning and that continues uh, to this day, even though it's a little different than Adam and Eve saw it. And so finally, like I said before, O Lord, David con- concludes the poem the way he began. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. O Jehovah, our King, how majestic, how sovereign, how supreme is your name in all the earth. And he concludes this psalm of praise. But uh, the beauty of knowing all of God's word, having the full counsel from the Old Testament to the New, we get to see the, the entire picture, right? The, uh, David was the inspired author of, of that psalm, but um, we get to see the, the true author, which is, which is the Holy Spirit, continue this theme throughout history. And he refers back to this psalm in the New Testament in a, in a couple of places. So if you, uh, let's turn to Matthew. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 21. We see uh, our Lord and Savior, Jesus himself, here as he is, has entered Jerusalem. He has uh, arrived for his final um, journey to the cross. And we see an exchange here between him and some Pharisees, um, in this psalm uh, came up. So Matthew 21, verses 12 through 17, say this. And Jesus entered the temple and drove out all who sold and bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you make it in a den of robbers. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests 
and the scribes saw the wonderful things that he did, and the children crying out in the temple, Hosanna to the son of David. They were indignant, and they said to him, Do you hear what these are saying? And Jesus said to them, Yes, have you never read out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies you have prepared praise? And leaving them, he went out to the city to Bethany and lodged there. So Jesus, he knew the Psalms. He was steeped in Scripture. Obviously, uh, being God, he knew all things. But to recall these Psalms to mind, which Jesus does throughout his ministry, even on the cross, um, referring to the Psalms, um, this is a, a good exchange to see. Um, the Pharisees, they're indignant. They want these infants, these children at least. Uh, they've seen all these wonderful things that Jesus has done. But when the children speak, last straw. Can't have that. That's unacceptable. Um, because, you know, children are to be quiet. They're not to be listened to. They have nothing to say. Yet the children say, Hosanna to the son of David. And they say, do you see what these children are saying? And Jesus calls Psalm 8 to them. Have you never read this? Aren't you scribes and Pharisees? Do you not know Scripture? Out of the mouth of infants and nursing babies, you have prepared strength or praise. And this is uh, just so good to see. This is uh, living out um, God using infants and babes to silence his foes. Because these, these men are obviously enemies of God. They do not want God's name to go forth. They only want their power and majesty to go forth. So that's one reference. Hebrews 2 is another. Uh, we finished the book of Hebrews a while back. But, uh, and this we went through a good while back. But it, is, it is also references Psalm 8. Hebrews 2, verses 6 through 9. It has been testified somewhere. What is man that you are mindful of him? Or the son of man that you care for him? You made him for a little while lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus, crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. So the author of Hebrews, um, inspired by the Holy Spirit, points back to this psalm and interprets it for us, showing us who this is. Christ being made lower than the angels. Christ himself stepping down from his majesty, from his glory. As we see in Philippians 2, he steps out and stoops down to weak, sick, frail, broken man. Christ comes to dwell among us. And it's just beautiful to be able you know, to see this as we went through it in Hebrews and see it in the psalm, um, how God comes to us. Because uh, like I referenced earlier in Genesis 3, we sin we uh, live in a fallen world and we desperately needed 
a Savior to make right what we, when we were enemies of God, we were the Pharisees, right? We hated God. We didn't want His name. But yet He stepped down from heaven to come to us as an infant, right? Baby Jesus, uh, at Christmas season, at Advent season, we celebrate um, the frail, the weak, uh, but yet God, yet infinite, yet majestic in all the earth. And the author of Hebrews shows us here that it is Christ. Um, and when he, he says here that not everything, we don't see everything right now under his subjection and, and feet. Um, but to finish up here, turn to 1 Corinthians. Paul also references this, 1 Corinthians 15, 26 through 28. The last enemy to be destroyed is death, for God has put all things in subjection under his feet. But when it says, from Psalm 8, all things are put in subjection, it is plain that he is accepted who put all things in subjection under him. When all things are subjected to him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to him who put all things in subjection under him, that God may be all in all. A very uh, Paul did a great job of using a lot of words over and over there, but it just means that when Christ returns, this section in 1 Corinthians talks about the resurrection of the dead, Christ's second coming. Death will be completely destroyed. All things will be under His feet. And we, believers, uh, will be with Him in that. And we will rest in the final work of His um, salvation. So, Psalm 8, the majesty, the praise, the glory of God, man's weakness, but yet God using man to do His work here on earth. Um, but then coming to man, being, becoming a man, and dwelling among us, living the life that we could not live, dying the death that we deserved, so that we could have a right relationship with God. It always comes back to this point, right? I, I try to remind myself, uh, as Charles Spurgeon, you know, would maybe not the, the best uh, exegesis of the text, um, pointing out every word and everything, but he knew that um, everything looked to Christ, being fulfilled in Christ. Uh, this great name that we have looked at um, is, is the name that we want to go forth in this church, in our family's uh, home, um, throughout the world, in mission work that we do uh, here locally in our town, uh, in our state, in our nation, and then globally. That's the name we want to go forth. So, um, just to conclude, remember the majesty uh, of the name of God, Jehovah, our King. Remember that it is not just here, it is uh, above the earth, it is above the heavens, it goes everywhere. And remember that um, it is ultimately fulfilled in Christ, as we saw in the New Testament uh, there, there in Hebrews and Corinthians. So for us, Christian, uh, believer on the name of Jesus Christ, uh, this should cause you to rejoice. This should remind you of His, His greatness and your, your insignificance. Yet, God chooses to use you 
to, for His Gospel to go forth, for you to share this great name with others. Uh, be reminded uh, that He is holy, we are sinful, but yet through Christ we are forgiven. We are set free. We are free to worship, free to live for His glory. His, this is His intended purpose for His children. So Christian, be reminded of that and worship Him uh, as you go, as you live. If you're here with us this morning and you are not a believer, you, you know the name, but you have not believed on the name. You have not believed in the name of Jesus Christ. You see this big, majestic God. And if you don't uh, know the name, if you're not safe and resting in that name, that is a fearful thing. should be a terrifying thing to know that this great God um, and His wrath is poured out on sinners. As a, as a man, as a woman, how frail and how small you are. It should make your heart melt with fear. But the call today is to point you to Christ, point you to the solution, point you to the answer for that fear, for that um, terrified life that you may be living. Look to Christ. He came. He lived the life. You, you cannot do enough good works. You cannot make yourself right with Him. He was perfect. He did the work that you could not do. Come to Him. What, what does that mean, Ryan? What does that mean, come to Him? If He is calling you, respond to Him in faith. Repent. Believe on this name, Jesus. And Scripture tells us, you will be saved. Look to Him. So the call is to both, both the believer and the non-believer. Look to Christ. Rest in Him. As I said earlier, a lot of um, psalm or songs have been written uh, to this Psalm 8. And I was looking for one this week and uh, just couldn't, couldn't find one that, that I felt was, uh, was good for our congregation. But with, with the help of Adam and James, we were able to find um, Isaac Watts had written a hymn. Uh, psalm 8 is what, is what he wrote. It's not exactly word for word, but it's pretty close. So we were able to find that, and um, again, with Adam's help, we were able to put it to music, and he'll give you instructions on that here in a moment. But as we go, as, we, as you're about to go and celebrate with your families this Father's Day, just be reminded uh, of the true Father, our Heavenly Father, who stooped down to love and care for fragile man, and we need him desperately every day every day. Let's pray together. Father, we uh, thank you again for this time to sit under the preaching of your word. I thank you for the molding and shaping that you have done on me this week and reminded me how I desperately need you, not only to, to stand before this congregation and preach, but to be a father to uh, our children to be an elder to this congregation, um, to love and to shepherd and to point from children to our most senior adults, point us all to Jesus. His name, 
not my name, not the name North Hills, not anything that we would want to put above the name, that name Jesus. And I pray for those here, Lord, that um, do not know the name. I pray that you will call them. You will draw them to yourself, Lord. They will respond in faith, and they will be able to stand as David did here and worship the name. How majestic is your name in all the earth. Thank you, O God. In Christ's name we do pray. Amen.